This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. Hurricane Ian is expected to make landfall in western Florida as soon as today. And even though the storm's future path and strength remain somewhat uncertain, Tampa Bay, the second largest metropolitan area in the state, could be in the hurricane's crosshairs. The projection highlights a growing trend that worries climate scientists, disaster experts, and emergency planners moving forward. People, infrastructure, and investment have increasingly flocked to the coast and other places that are exposed to destruction from climate-fueled events. And recovering from those disasters is growing more costly. In fact, 2021 was the seventh year in a row that there were 10 or more climate disaster events that eclipsed a billion dollars in damage in the United States. So today, we check in with Politico's Zach Coleman, about why Tampa Bay is uniquely at risk because of Hurricane Ian and the rising costs of climate disasters in general. It's Wednesday, September 28th. Tampa has ballooned over decades, and the last time it had a major direct hit from a hurricane was 101 years ago. So now you've got all these buildings on the waterfront In low-lying areas, a quarter of the city lives in the 100-year floodplain, which is the riskiest place to be. So you just have a city that's not had recent experience with this type of event that has built in a way that doesn't really account for these types of events in the way that you would hope. And it's just looking to be like it could be a major disaster. Yeah, and so both on how Tampa Bay is situated and decisions they've made around building climate scientists you spoke with are saying that those factors could worsen Ian's destruction. So why is that? So what worsens Ian's destruction is some of the climate signals that we're getting from hurricanes as well. And climate science and hurricanes are difficult. It's complicated because it's not that we're going to see more hurricanes. In fact, we might see fewer with climate change, but when they do form, they're expected to become stronger. So what you have with warmer waters from climate change is fuel for these hurricanes. What we're seeing is we have warmer than average temperatures in the waters near Tampa right now, which if it's a thick enough layer of warm water, that is basically gasoline for this hurricane. And we also see with Tampa Bay, we've had a foot of sea level rise since the last time they had a major hit. And that is going to elevate storm surge. And you've also seen with climate change that a lot more warmth in the water and a lot more warmth in the atmosphere increases the evaporation, which is going to then create these stalling sort of heavy downpour incidents that we've seen with Hurricane Harvey in the past, which a lot of the damage from Hurricane Harvey was from added rainfall that was unanticipated because climate change is making it worse. I mean, this is not something that people had seen before. That was a real bellwether, the Hurricane Harvey uh, in 2017 in Houston, where we just saw massive amounts of rain dropped on the city. And a lot of people attributed that to the effect of climate change. Right. And you write that Tampa Bay embodies this trend that we're seeing that's really worrying climate scientists and disaster experts, emergency planners of people, infrastructure, investment increasingly flocking to the coast. So why is that such a worry? And if these risks of extreme storms are known, then why is Tampa continuing to build in this way? And why are people continuing to move there? Well, the why people are continuing to move there is because of the coast. People like nice weather. They like the ocean. They like the water. And humans are really bad at measuring their risk. 
I mean, Tampa hasn't had a direct hit in 100 years. There is a lot of incentive for local governments to allow development to get those revenues. And then lastly, there's just been a ton of growth in the U.S. There's been a lot of people moving towards cities. And a lot of our infrastructure has gone to supporting those communities. And that makes sense. But what's making our disasters costly is, yes, climate change is making more of these disasters happen. Or if they, if it's not more of them, it's making them stronger. But we're also putting people in the direct path of those events. And that is what is also increasing these costs. You see every year that NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, puts out their billion-dollar-plus damage events. These are events that they're natural disasters, they're climate-fueled oftentimes, that have caused over a billion dollars of damage. Now, that is a function of climate change to some degree, but it's also just a function of how we are putting so much capital and so much infrastructure and so many people in the path of these storms. Right. And so if the worst comes to pass or close to the worst, how could Hurricane Ian impact Florida's economy, especially the insurance markets, which you mentioned specifically in your story? Right. Well, what we have here is a state that is known to have flooding, even on a good day. And then it has all these disasters from hurricanes or high winds. And that's actually been a problem for insurance companies. They don't want to have to insure homes against those types of losses or even cars against those types of losses. So a lot of national insurers, Allstate, State Farm, they operate in a limited capacity in Florida or don't operate at all. So what you're really seeing are a lot of smaller insurance companies teetering on insolvency. A sixth Florida insurer was declared insolvent just this past week. You also are seeing the state-run insurance company, which was created as a backstop a couple of decades ago, taking on even more policies as these private insurers leave the state. So now what you have is the state-backed company with over a million policies, and there is a big concern. If there is a huge hit, can the insurance company that is backed by taxpayers cover those losses? It says it can, but even if it can't, it can then assess levies on other Florida coverage holders. So it doesn't mean that the damages will stay with the actual policyholders in the state. And even beyond that, the state would potentially have to cover damages. There's a whole bunch of other knock-on effects when people lose their homes, people rely on social services, things to that extent. So the state would likely have to play a role as well. Also, yesterday evening, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, acting on a request from Senator Joe Manchin, pulled their signature energy permitting reform legislation from a must-pass government funding bill just minutes before Republicans were set to defeat it. The Senate was expected to hold a key procedural vote on Manchin's permitting legislation Tuesday, and by pulling it, it means the Senate will move ahead and vote to keep the government open before funding expires on Friday. Most of the opposition to the bill came from Senate Republicans, who didn't want to give Manchin a political win and said his bill didn't go far enough, and from a couple Democratic senators as well. Remember, Schumer promised to attach Manchin's permitting reform measure to must-pass legislation to fund the federal government beyond September 30th. That promise was part of a deal between Manchin and Democratic leadership to get his vote on Democrats' party-line reconciliation package back in August. Now, Manchin and Schumer are looking to find a new path for passing permitting reform before the end of the year. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power switch. 
and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our Morning Energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Energy demand is on the rise. That's why Chevron plans to increase its oil production by 15% over 2021 levels in the Permian Basin, all while continuing to reduce both carbon and methane emissions intensities. Learn more at chevron.com slash Permian Production.